Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome. Um, this is Living Free Show. Um, on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Um, thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Um, my name's Bill, and today we have a guest called John. Hi, John. Hi, Bill. John is a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and he's going to be sharing his journey of recovery from active alcoholism and talking about how AA has helped him. So, John, we usually start looking at issues around um, you know, sort of growing up and things that influenced your life. So what was life like for you as a child? Well, I sort of, uh, I was born into a middle-class family. Um, no mention of alcoholism except by my mother, who said we had no alcoholics in our family, and the truth was we had quite a few of them. And um, uh, drinking produced secrets in the family, so there were people with uh, with alcoholic problems who were hidden away in um, uh, rest homes, and uh, they were called them rest homes at that time, but they're actually places with bars on and so on. But my bars, uh, on, the, bars on the windows, bars no. on the windows, <laughs> yes, rather, rather than proper bars. And uh, I had a grandfather who who um, used to come and visit every morning. We lived in a Mediterranean climate; it was wonderful, and he'd come every morning. But he'd come via the uh, via the local hotel. And uh, he'd bring a flagon with him and he'd sit at the back of the house and he'd sit under the grapevines and drink his flagon and then he'd toddle off home in the afternoons. And um, sometimes he would cause grief and distress to my, uh, particularly my mother. And um, as a child, I had to go out and look after him and and get him up the street and so on in case he fell off the footpath. (laughs) And years later, I realised that's what it was all about. It was so that the neighbours didn't see. So my sort of initial experiences with alcoholism or uh, of it being something that you pretended you didn't have an elephant in the room as it was and um, he actually died in um, in a heat wave uh, when I was a small child um, in those days hospitals didn't have air conditioning and he had alcoholic diabetes and um, his uh, he got gangrene in his legs and they chopped off his legs and um, when he when he came out of the anaesthetic, uh, he discovered he had no legs, and uh, very shortly after, the shock killed him. And I remember that that was covered up inside the family as well. So there were my sort of initial thoughts, yeah. and um, that probably leads me to the point where I picked up my first drink because um, for me, as a um, uh, as an alcoholic, I know there are people who drink themselves into alcoholism gradually over a long period of time sometimes. Uh, but in my case, I had my first drink and it had a very wonderful experience. <laughs> it was a wonderful experience for me. I call it a spiritual experience. Yeah. It enlarged my spirit and inflamed my desires and suppressed my inhibitions all in one drink. It was quite uh, quite dramatic. Yeah. And I made a decision which uh, uh, colours the rest of, of my life, really, and that is this is for me. And... Um, I had no reason to do that because the, the people I saw drinking in my family were in trouble with, with alcohol, but uh, that's what I did. I picked up a drink and I thought, I understand why why they're like they are, and um, and that's what I started to do. I started to drink at 15. Yeah. So what are the 
alcoholics were in your family at that point? Um, well, and years, years, uh, not not so long ago, uh, my brother died of alcoholism. He died drinking. He was in and out of AA for roughly thirty years, which doesn't mean AA doesn't work. It simply means it, it didn't work for him, and because he didn't really want it. Um, and I had a sister who died um, in similar circumstances. Um, in my case, I've uh, I've been surrounded by people with alcoholism all my life. And, um, you know, I watch what's happened to some of them. Um, I had a brother-in-law who's suicided um, through alcoholism. And um, uh, my father-in-law, uh, in, uh, I've been married a couple of times, but my, one of my father-in-laws was, uh, became a Korsakoff, which is um, a severely brain-damaged alcoholic. Right. And uh, he died uh, in that situation. In, in a, it's a form of dementia, but a, a rather serious form. Hmm. Okay, so, um, so you were the the third child, I think. Fourth. Fourth. Okay. Fourth. Fourth. Actually, fifth. One one died. Fifth. Okay. Yes, right. and, but I was the fourth surviving child. Okay. So, did you feel part of the family, or did you feel different? I definitely didn't feel part of the family. Um, my uh, my mother was very affected by uh, her father's alcoholism and uh, she was uh, very um, driven, very driven person. And uh, my family was a political family, so they're involved in politics and uh, and so on. So as a child, no, I didn't feel part of the family because I was often on my own and um, started to roam quite wildly, uh, widely. Uh, as a as a child, long before I started drinking, I was roaming around on a push bike and going riding long distances. And, um, you know, practising for being a cyclist in later life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we did that at the time. We we had enormous freedoms of movement that I don't think the kids today have. But, yeah, I, I similarly rode for long distances and, and similarly had alcoholism in my family. Um, so did you – one of the things that I sort of talked to alcoholics specifically about is this concept of blackout and the effect that had on your drinking. So did you experience that? Uh, as I said, I started drinking at 15 and I was uh, just a kid at school and I didn't have very much money and um, I, couldn't, I couldn't drink all the time. I, I um, just drank at weekends really, but I think I was probably about uh, 16, maybe, maybe just into, into my 17th year when I had my first major blackout and um, uh, that for, for your listeners is a period when you don't remember what's been happening. You, you come around and uh, things have happened and you don't know what, what has happened. And um, yes, that did, that did affect me, but I accepted that. I thought that's what drinkers did. And uh, I was trying to practice to be a hardened drinker, I think, at the time. So yeah. <laughs> and try and look like an adult. And um, I just accepted it and went on my way. But, but blackouts and uh, bender drinking became a part of my my uh, alcoholism gradually by the time i was 21 i was in very serious strife with with my alcohol okay intake uh, so did, did you use alcohol as a way of escaping from reality for me um and i speak only for myself my alcoholism <clears throat> was about learning that alcohol gave me a sense of uh, alternative reality i'll call it um and I was uncomfortable in reality, which you mentioned before, as a, as a child in my family. And uh, alcohol gave me what I thought was freedom. I heard someone say once that um, 
it gives you the wings to fly and then it takes away the sky and the second bit's not too good but <laughs> but certainly in the first bit that's what I did I drank to to uh, escape really to escape reality and uh, that became a, a really uh, solidified pattern very early in my working life right so did you remembering some of the things you do while you're drinking did you feel remorse for those oh um the only answer for me is absolutely. Um, my my drinking career early on um, involved people starting to use big words. I remember I was supposed to be becoming a um, uh, an A class student at school, and uh, instead I started to fail. And uh, that transferred itself when I went to university initially, and uh, I was precluded from a university. Um, and uh, people started to say things like, uh, well, we don't need you here when I was uh, involved in things. I had a sporting career and uh, I laboured along trying to hold that sporting career in, in place. Um, so the drinking, my drinking was affecting all of, all of those aspects of my life. And then I get to relationships, which is, of course, <laughs> the next <laughs> really interesting, interesting area for me. Um, I was just mentioning recently, I, I, uh, in those days we used to get engaged and uh, I got a ring. I don't know where I got the ring from, probably Woolworths or somewhere, but anyway, mm. uh, I had this ring and I got engaged to uh, uh, eight times, <laughs> I think, over a period of, uh, of two years or something like that. And the, um, in terms of unmanageability and, and how chaotic my life had become, the first engagement, I think, was about eight weeks. But at the end, it was overnight. That's all it was because... Mm. Um, my behaviour was just too... It had become too erratic for me to be around people in a, in a proper relationship. And um, also one of the things that my sort of alcoholic is, in, is good at is uh, building castles in the sky and shifting in before they put a floor in. <laughs> and um, because So you had dreams. <laughs> I had dreams, yes. And, um, and I dragged some people with me along on those dreams and uh, that caused me me personally some grief but caused them a lot of grief as well my story a lot of my story and my alcoholism is about uh, my effect on other people and the grief I brought them through uh, through me just wanting to drink and um, being drunk when I should have been responsible and being drunk when I should have been there uh, those sorts of issues yeah alcoholism does affect families and friends and co-workers pretty dramatically um, because they have the interest of the alcoholic at heart but most of the time they don't realise that they're just propping them, they're just keeping them going rather than helping them address the issue. So how long did it take you to sort of realise that your drinking was um, had gone too far? Uh, I think when I was 18 I knew I was drinking differently to other people yep. uh, and they're the people around me, so my, my peer group that I knocked around with was starting to dispense with my company um, because of because I wanted to drink. They wanted to do other things and enjoy themselves, and uh, I was always drinking. So I changed the circle of friends. So that's one of the first effects I noticed. I mm. stopped knocking around with people who were sensible and started knocking around with people like myself <laughs> who were more interested in this alternative reality. Um, but that, that just worsened because it... It, I became socially isolated in some ways and at the same time I was trying to hold up, as I said, a sporting career. I was trying to, uh, I was a coach of uh, sporting teams and eventually I became a um, state president of a sporting body. 
But right through all of that, uh, I remained quite isolated from a lot of the people around me. So I was, uh, I found myself okay to appoint in management roles, provided I could remember what we were doing. Um, and um, I made some wonderful speeches. I've been told. Uh, I wasn't. <laughs> you weren't <laughs> I, present. <laughs> I wasn't present at the time, but uh, they tell me I made some wonderful speeches at that time. But eventually, all of those things uh, collapse. Um, sometimes because uh, I just wasn't there. One of my habits in in drinking, one of the habits I developed as a drinking alcoholic was to disappear. I was a disappearing drunk. And um, uh, I used to think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, but um, that wasn't the case at all. I just just bail out of whatever reality I was in and and disappear. Look for another. Mm, Look for another. Look for an alternative. And that alternative, unfortunately, for an isolating alcoholic, quite often ends up being drinking on your own. Uh, When I was a younger man in cars and, um, uh, you know, in places like that, Um, and later on isolating myself inside what should have been family situations and, um, and other social social events. Yeah. Christmas would be a really good example. I was uh, um, uh, rarely present at a family Christmas and when I was present, um, I, I used the word I was manipulatively obnoxious some of right. the time yeah. <clears throat> and uh, caused lots of trouble. Grief inside my own family as well as grief inside the people who invited me to visit. Yeah, mm. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, so most people don't realise that alcoholism can't exist in isolation. So what did you do that enabled you to keep drinking? Ah, well, um, when I went out working, I made a resolution. I'm going to change, and I suspect that lasted about a week. Um, I decided uh, I would... I mentioned I'd been engaged a number of times. Eventually, I, I found somebody who'd marry me, and um, the person I... I uh, chose to uh, join me in this exercise was another drinking alcoholic and uh, so there we were in a house two alcoholics playing house together uh, trying to look like adults Um, but one of the hallmarks of uh, most of the alcoholics I know well is is uh, dreadful immaturity and I picked up a drink at 15 and I really didn't mature after that and um, so there I was in a, trying to be in a marriage, uh, still with my sort of 15-year-old foot stamping going on and so on. Um, so that's another thing I tried to change. I bought property, I had uh, businesses, um, I had a family, and uh, it, it looked like I had the trappings of success. And as I said, I was the, the uh, uh, president of a state sporting body as well. So all of these things and my career, my first career, uh, which ended in disaster, um, they all look like like things that I I did those things to change and uh, of course the problem with alcoholism it's progressive and um, I just continued to drink and I continued to go downhill so the more I built my pack of cards my house of cards the the worse it got mm. Mm. yeah so did that marriage last. No. Uh, no, what happened, happened at the end of... I was married for seven years, and uh, you could say seven-year itch, but um, uh, as I said, uh, immature people in a, in a situation together, um, drinking, um, and it all... Things Im- imploded on me, and, um, uh, you know, I was trying to run businesses, the bills, um, just turning up to work, those sorts of things. Uh, they became horrendous. And in my case, as I said, I was a disappearing drunk and I wasn't always home when I should have been. I wasn't always there. 
and um, uh, I won't go into too much detail, but uh, family violence on uh, both sides of the marriage um, didn't help the situation at all. And uh, me appearing, I lived in the bush and I used to uh, walk into the house, pick up a gun, some cartridges and, and disappear and I'd be gone for a, for days, pig shooting or something like that. And um, uh, that is that just leads to the end more quickly. And um, it all imploded, and uh, I I decided it was time for a geographic. <laughs> for for any listener who hasn't heard that term, that's uh, when you you decide you'll take yourself somewhere else on the grounds that it's all going to be better when you get there, yes. rather than where you are now. And uh, that's how I came to Melbourne in the first place. So I came here on a geographic, and left a terrible mess behind me. And um, and when I got here, uh, of course, my props. I no longer had a wife to ring up and tell the boss that poor boy is sick today or anything like that. And things just uh, began to implode on me tremendously in terms of my own thinking. Um, but also, um, earlier in my drinking, I'd had a patch of um, suicidal depression, uh, I suppose you could call it, but um, I, I had attempted suicide and failed. Uh, fortunately, very fortunately for me, failed. And um, uh, I had made an attempt at that time to to try and change. But the one thing that I never changed, which is interesting because I knew I was an alcoholic, um, but I thought drinking was just a symptom of my condition, uh, which is true in one way, but definitely uh, not. It's, it's not the major cause. As far as I'm concerned, it wasn't the major cause. And I rationalised that if I had all these, if you had all these problems, you'd drink just like me. So I hung around with people who drank just like me, mm. who had all of these same sorts of problems. <clears throat> yeah. um, so, do you, did you see alcohol as a solution to some of these problems? I used it as a solution. Yeah. I don't think I saw it as a solution. It, the um, uh, me avoiding reality was the solution that I was looking for. And it just so happens that in my case, I used alcohol as a, uh, a drug which creates uh, um, blackout conditions, and and um, uh, and you can spend long time, long periods of time, not connected to reality. And of course, when you wake up, the reality is still there, which is mm, it's harsh. So it's not a it's yeah. not an effective solution for no. anything. Yeah. And as well as that, I was imperil- imperiling my health through all of that. I had a number of patches of. Uh, disasters that struck me while I was drinking um, one of which was I got run over by a horse it wasn't the horse's fault yeah. but uh, I was drunk riding a motorbike around a paddock where I had a, had a stallion standing at stud and uh, he ran me over while, I, while he was chasing my dogs and um, I was in hospital for a long period of time with uh, multiple fractures in my skull on one thing and another um, with uh, those little those mates I had left in my life, bringing me in alcohol okay. in bottles to yeah. <laughs> help me while away the time while my head fell apart. You know, yeah. so. And in those days, they were big bottles. They were big <laughs> bottles. They just put those big bottles of Coke on the market, and yeah. they used to bring a bottle of Coke in and uh, a Coke and masala with mostly masala <laughs> and a little drop of Coke to help it along. So yeah. I was found out, of course. Uh, medical staff. Don't take kindly Quickly, to finding yeah. drunks in their beds. So, um, yes, and I and I had a terrible time after that because when you're drinking, the results of those accidents don't heal, and the broken bones and so on don't heal properly. And uh, I had years of of uh, trying to get past the effects of that sort of 
adventure. That was one adventure I fell off. I must say I fell off a number of things, despite the fact I thought I was a wonderful sportsman. I fell off motorbikes and I fell off horses and I uh, fell out of a tree when I cut a branch off the tree and uh, and, and the tree sprang up with the weight of the branch off and I fell about 30 feet into some blackberries. So I had adventures like that, which... <clears throat> Should have been appointed to the fact that yeah. I was... Something I was, was happening, yeah. Yes, life was definitely unmanageable. Yeah. Well, listen, um, we might take a break there. Uh, you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, we've got podcasts of the each week's show available at, on our website, which is 3cr.org.au slash forward slash living free. And they're also available on iTunes and other uh, podcast medium. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, you can call the station on 9419 8377 or email us on 3CR at, 3CRLivingFree at gmail.com. And we're also on Twitter as well. Uh, I'm talking with John today, uh, and we're talking about uh, alcoholics, alcoholism and Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so, John, you after your first marriage ended um, and you did your geographical, did... Did you find the need to do something about your drinking? Um, at that time, I was, uh, as I said, without my support. Network? <laughs> network around me, yes. Nobody to ring up the boss anymore. And I was really in the death throes of the second part of my working career while I was drinking. Um, I'd had two professional careers. And I say I drank my way out of both of them. And that was entirely at my own hand. I mean, nobody forced me out of them. I just drank myself to the point where I couldn't work properly. And... Um, that's when things came crashing down around my head, personally, um, and I started to to look for help. And um, I bought a book on a bookstall called How to Cope with the Problem Drinker, which had been written under a federal grant by a chap who was a rally driver, and I was going to be a great rally driver. I just <laughs> couldn't afford the car. I had the crash helmet. And... Um, uh, he'd written this book and it was all about alcoholism in Australia and um, it had a list of the officers of AA and it had a, a, the book opened with an AA story and um, uh, so I decided I'd, I'd go and look at AA but I must mention I'd, I'd, um, I had drunk in a pub in the, in the country where they had a sign on the wall saying resignations from AA accepted here but uh, like a lot of drinkers I already knew a little bit about AA before I got there I didn't know I knew what AA stood for Alcoholics Anonymous I used to say I was an alcoholic unanimous but um, uh, that's a that's a bit of my story but the fun had gone the glad times had gone the sad times had gone and I was into the really mad times when I decided to seek help and um, and I I walked into an office of AA, which was open here in Melbourne at the time. So that's how I actually made contact with AA in the first place. I didn't ring as most people do, or text, or um, or look on a website as you can today, because we didn't have websites. Um, I actually just walked into their office and uh, tapped on the door, and a man opened the door and said he would uh, he asked me whether I'd like a cup of coffee. He didn't say you're an alcoholic looking for help. And uh, I found out later that in in, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, you make up your own mind about whether you're an alcoholic or not. In my case, I knew I was an alcoholic. But as I said before, I thought I had these terrible, grave emotional or mental disorders. And uh, if you had those, you'd drink too the way I did. That's how I used to think. And um, this man told me all about himself, I think, because I don't really remember. And he he sent somebody around to where I lived to... uh, 
uh, take me to a meeting, and that's how I first got to AA. And how long ago was that? That was in 1976. I came to AA, um, and um, um, the short story is a day at a time I've continued to go to AA over a long period of time, and I've been sober since then. Mm. Um, not always happily. <laughs> <laughs> That's life, isn't it? That's Particularly true. at the beginning. I was not happy about this. And I, I suppose the, uh, the issue was mainly about grief. I was grieving my love, which was alcohol. And um, it took me quite a while to get past that, uh, the grieving, you know, the processes of accepting that I was an alcoholic and I wasn't going to be able to drink again uh, with impunity. Um, I can drink again. I have a choice. AA gave me a choice about whether I drank or not. And I know today the um, issue of choice is very critical because before I came to AA, I, had, I didn't have a choice. I just drank. And um, uh, I found in AA, they said, well, if you don't pick up the first drink, you can't get drunk. And I thought, well, that's, <laughs> that's pretty straightforward. Well, I thought it was straightforward, but I thought there must be a catch. <laughs> <laughs> So in my case, I spent some time going to AA before I really got that message that what that means for me is I cannot pick up a drink without there being consequences. And um, I've learned more about those consequences as I've as, I, as the years have gone by, yep. but by so, listening to other people as well as yeah. myself. Yeah. So what was your view at the time when you went to your first meeting all those years ago? How have I come to this? <laughs> <laughs> So I, I was pretty upset with myself. I had nowhere else to go. Uh, so I stress, or I had looked in other places, uh, medical places, and um, I hadn't. I people may have been able to identify my problem, but I was not able to be honest about what the nature of my problem really was with myself or anybody else. Mm. So as I said, while I knew I was an alcoholic, I didn't think that that was the primary cause of my troubles. Okay, so. Um so AA started to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. You started to recover. So how did your AA life progress? I fell into the clutches of people who loved me back to health. That's probably yep. the simple answer. And uh, um, these people welcomed me and encouraged me to come to meetings of AA. And uh, two of them in particular also invited me eventually, after I'd settled down a little bit, to come around and, and drink coffee in their in their homes. They were very kind. I had the shakes and I was pretty sick at the time, but they used to give me half a cup of coffee and um, and uh, they they talked to me about alcoholism. When, when I came to AA here in Melbourne, there were about six or seven meetings each day or night, which made about uh, roughly 40 40 meetings for the week and now of course there are about 400 I think in the metropolitan area it's got a large number and um, so meetings weren't weren't so easy to find and when you went to those meetings you often saw the same people so I had the benefit of hearing people who were recovering again and again and again which was uh, which I gradually learned to listen to them and listen to what they were saying. I didn't like their message. The message was if you pick up a drink, yep. bad yeah. things are going to happen. But if you don't pick up a drink, good things are going to happen. I didn't, you know, I wasn't too keen on the second bit. It's a, it's a strange illness, alcoholism. And, um, you know, the alcoholic doesn't think they're sick and they're very sick. And, the, and the, the worse they get, the more their alcoholism says, well, in my case it did, um, just have a drink. This will be all right if you can just this get another solve, drink. Yeah, mm. yeah. This will solve the problem. Yep. Um, 
So did your relationships improve? Um, my relationships improve, improved dramatically, but uh, I made a few um, interesting moves. I, I got married again just after I got sober and um, I married another alcoholic again, which was, which was my want. Um, I jokingly say no one else would put up with me. But <laughs> <laughs> so I married another alcoholic and she was uh, drinking at the time. And um, so there we were in a house together with uh, me trying to get sober in AA and her trying to drink the way she used to. And um, we had a few topsy-turvy years with that. Um, but uh, so my relationships improved. I had another family and um, AA gradually gave me the capacity. I learned, I learned how to do things like be a, a proper dad. Um, not that the, nobody formally teaches anything like that. It's just I heard other other dads talking about how they were being proper dads compared to when they were drinking, and I became a better husband and a better lover and a few other things uh, thrown into the mix. Certainly, a much more responsible citizen. I got back into the workforce gradually because I was very ill when I came to AA and I couldn't work. Uh, so it took me a, a, a few years to get stable stable work. I eventually went back to, in my case, went back to university. I even applied to get into the university, which had precluded me when I was uh, drinking. And they even accepted me back. But uh, I eventually got back to another university and got some qualifications and began another, a completely different career to what I'd had before. Mm. So things did improve dramatically. Okay. So have you ever left AA? Uh, I left AA for a very short time six-week period. Uh, I, we have a program in AA, uh, the 12-step program, which your listeners are probably aware of, and um, I hadn't done very much about any part of the program other than, other than just come along and, and not pick up drinks. And I said to my uh, sponsor, I had this sponsor who was looking after me, and I said to him, what do I have to do? <laughs> and he said, the steps. And I didn't didn't want to do that. It's uh, I've heard it said that there's a four letter word that a lot of people don't like. It's work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he suggested I needed to do some work on myself. So uh, my reaction was exactly the same as it had been before. A number of times in my life, I just took off and uh, left him standing. And um, I had to come back. And I didn't pick up a drink, but I was very once my stable sort of uh, frame of having the meetings I was going to and the people I was talking to, once I removed that from myself or removed myself from that, um, all of a sudden I was dangling in midair again and um, I knew I was going to drink and, and that's a horrible feeling if you're an alcoholic who knows the that the problem is alcoholism yeah. and you, get, <clears throat> you know you're going to drink again. That is a dreadful feeling and um, I was lucky I got back before uh, I got... I was 12-step back into AA. They call it 12-stepping. Um, and I went back to my sponsor and cap in hand and uh, said to him, what do I have to do? And this time he was much more specific. He said, business with your higher power, because my real problem was that I didn't want a higher power in my life, and if you're powerless over alcohol, the only way out of that dilemma is for an alcoholic like me is to get a higher power going in your life, which can help you with that, that dilemma. And um, that's what I had to do. So at that time, I had taken a few... It was only a few months away from AA, um, and I didn't stray too far. But um, it was a very uh, deep experience for me. I've been very careful since. And, and I, I 
think one of the most important things for me is I I am very wary about becoming bored. Right, yeah. Um, boredom leads to idle thinking. Yeah. Someone wrote down once a long time ago and idle thinking leads to drinking with an alcoholic. So uh, I'm very careful about that. Yes. Mm. Okay. Um, in, in AA, um, everybody's recovering at, at a certain rate. So what's it like watching others recover if you're not recovering at the same rate? Do you, you, know, do, do you have that comparison in you? Uh, repetition, of course, is a big thing in, in a lot of areas of life. Um, you know, people who become very good at, uh, at some skill, like kicking a footy or something, repetition is, is at the heartland for most of us. Some people have talent, but most of us have to practice repetition. And hearing again and again people talking about their recovery and how they were living their recovery was a really big part of, of me getting the... I got gradually the confidence that I could recover. So I had very low self-esteem when I came to AA and a, a terrible impression of myself. I hated myself, really. And um, getting to the point where I was doing something about the program, restoring some, some self-esteem, getting back some confidence and watching these examples in front of me of people getting well and trying to balance feelings of being resentful for a start about watching them yeah. get well yeah. when I, I thought I wasn't. And then finding out that I was getting well too. And uh, I gradually saw little signs of progress in myself, one of which is the return of a sense of humour, which is a clear <laughs> indication of recovery in, in, uh, in alcoholics that I know. And I started to laugh at myself the way I was, I was taking myself very seriously. So I learned not to do that and so on. And one of the problems with isolating away from, from your fellow man or from, in my case, my fellow alcoholic, is that I, I start to get a different impression of myself, whereas they, they bring me back to earth fairly quickly. Yep, yep, yes. They, they know exactly what you're thinking, even if you don't express it. Yeah. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking with John today, and we're talking about alcoholism and how AA has helped. Um, so, John, before the song, we are talking about being in AA and, um, I guess, the, the trying to improve the unmanageability of one's life and um, having to get serious about recovery. So what are the things that you you think about when you think about the, I guess, the seriousness of recovery? Um, for, well, for me, I didn't. I had no idea how how ill I was on so many fronts, and um, which is a is of course uh, typical of any mental illness. People who've got mental illnesses don't realise, and they say in AA that uh, alcoholism is a is a threefold disease: spiritual, mental, and physical. And um, the physical part started to improve, so I saw improvement there. Um, but I was very suspicious about my own thinking for a long time, and it took me um, pretty consistent work over a period of time to begin to trust my own thinking. And I suppose that's one of the results of, for me of being in AA for a long time is that most of the time I'm okay with my thinking, even when I have the occasional aberrant thought, I can deal yeah. with it. Yeah. And... Um, because I was told a long time ago that, say, with drinking, for example, that I can have a thought about drinking, but that all it is is a thought. And provided I deal with that thought appropriately, the same as I would if I, if I suddenly got angry irrationally or something like that, if I can deal with that 
um, in some way and I can actually uh, stop what's going on in my head, then it doesn't put me down a path of leading to resentments. For example, a thought about drinking could lead me to resentments about, well, why can't I drink like other people? Well, the truth of that is I never drank like other people. I drank like <laughs> alcoholics. So, um, yeah, um, lost and, that argument. Yeah. Yes, I lost that <laughs> argument to start off with and provided I can keep those trains of thought open in, in my thinking, that's good. And, and particularly having expectations. Uh, of other people that they're going to act in particular ways um, particularly I, to make you happy yes yeah, yes yeah. to make me happy or to satisfy my lust for power or whatever it is yeah. that I'm into at the time um, these, these are the things that have made me uh, I hope a better father and a, a um, certainly a better person to be around I'm involved in uh, other organizations uh, apart from AA and I'm I'm fairly busy in my life and I'm on lots of committees and I work in teams and things like that and I volunteered for various things. Um, so uh, AI has enabled all of that. It, it's, not, it's not the way I go about things, but it's enabled me to do those things because I have some thinking processes. And those thinking processes have come about through doing something about the steps and in particular identifying my own defects of character, uh, which are quite... Uh, um, I, I didn't know what a defective character was when I first started looking at them. They're a, they're a bit hard to find, but once you start living, for me as, as a sober alcoholic, I discovered my defects of character, like this one with expectations and so on, or um, and uh, those behaviours that used to be appropriate when I was 14 years of age and stamping my foot and, and rebelling was simply not appropriate, and uh, I had to develop new ways. So I had to look at my attitudes and mature, uh, AA has helped me mature um, by listening to other people who've who've matured. Um, mind you, having said that, uh, AA is full of immature people. Yeah, I think, right. I think. <laughs> and I fit in quite well. Yeah. And an example of that is I used to I used to worry for a lot of my sobriety because I came to AA when I was thirty years of age, and uh, I used to worry what was I going to be when I grew up. Yeah. And after about twenty five years in AA, I thought, well, I. I'm not growing up very fast, so <laughs> I should stop worrying about this. And um, the other issue is living a day at a time. And I find living a day at a time is a real key to me maintaining some sort of uh, a gratitude, really. Because I, I try and live in such a way that I practice the steps, and particularly the step about turning my will and my life over to a higher power. I practice that because uh, at heart I was a defaulter on life to begin with, I was uh, allergic to reality, so it's very good for me to, to turn my reality over to my higher power and say, well, you put the reality up and we'll see what comes of it. So um, I try and do that, and I, I might be making light of it, but I do try and do that seriously, and, and that helps me because it gives me an acceptance that what's, what's happening today is, is what's meant to happen today. And I got that from this, this sponsor I had, who I never asked to be my sponsor, but he was a funny old bloke. I said to him today, he, he'd been talking about prayer, and I said, well, how do you pray? He said, I open my eyes and I say, good, good morning, boss, what's on today? And that was his way of, of practising those steps. And um, he was very good for me in that sense because he, he said to me, There's, there is a loving God in this business. And um, my story in recovery is that running into... Uh, evidence of my higher power operating in other people in a very loving way has been a big part of my my recovery. Yeah, it's about the attitude, isn't it? It's it's seeing things 
with potential rather than seeing things negatively all the time. Instead of seeing people always against you, you, you find one person who might be for you and you go, whoa, you're like, that's a pleasant surprise. Well, there's that. There's also the issue of, uh, and you mentioned service. Um, there are there are three arms in the in the little triangle of that AA uses, and um, you know one's recovery, which is the base, and then unity and service. And unity is sticking together, and not going off on some tangent of my own, which I used mm. to be very good at. And then service, of course. And um, I I found for me that doing service inside AA. Um, and then extending that to service outside of AA and other organisations has been a big part of, of, um, of my AA lesson about how I can live my life better, even though I'm, I'm, in, uh, I'm an alcoholic. I don't suffer from my alcoholism today very often. Occasionally I get a thought or two, but I don't suffer from it, whereas before I was a suffering alcoholic. Now I'm not. Yeah. I, I live. I'm a, I live this program. Yep. So one of the other things that um, we talked about earlier off air was about the desire to drink, and I think you mentioned that in the initial period you didn't ha- you lost that desire to drink, but then it came back. So how's that been through your AA experience? Um, well, what I mentioned, I'd, I'd lost it initially. I went to my first AA meeting and I didn't did not want to drink for about three months which is a very powerful thing for me because I was drinking every day for, for uh, probably the better part of 10 or 12 years I'd been drinking on a daily basis. And um, I didn't want to drink. And, but at three months it finished, like all good honeymoons. It yeah. came to a crashing end and I was desperate for a drink. And uh, this man had come into my life and he said to me, uh, who was in AA, and he said, I said, I'm compelled to drink. And he said, no, you're not compelled unless you pick up a drink. He said, and then you will have to continue drinking, which is part of the problem with alcoholism or my alcoholism, that I pick up a drink and then I'm forced to continue. And he said, if you don't pick up that first drink, and it sounds such a simple thing, um, and I was such a complicated person, I look, for, I look for the catch in it, but that's how it works. I don't pick up a drink, regardless of what happens, and a day at a time I, I can stay sober. So... Over a period of time, my desire to drink reduced and my desire to be sober and live a sober life increased. And um, today I could say I'm very rarely ever plagued by a thought about drinking, uh, much less a desire. But I am very cautious that I live in such a way that I don't um, get complacent about that because complacency for me as an alcoholic is a really bad problem. Death sentence. Mm. Yep. Um, one of the things we also talked about off air was about the 12 promises of AA and I think one of them's about you no longer feel useless or suffer from self-pity so how's that working in your life? Well it works pretty well um, getting some confidence that uh, that you have an opinion and that you can be listened to um, that, that took me a while in sobriety I, um, I have worked mainly with um, other people during my working life and um, I've addressed to done things like address conferences and so on. So it took me some time to get the confidence to be able to speak my mind and to speak it um, openly and appropriately um, and so on. I'll, I'll give you an example. I remember once I, I walked out of a meeting and thought, I'm sick of being a wimp and turning the other cheek. I think I'll say no to everybody just just for practice. Yeah. So for about a fortnight I said, everybody asked me to do something at work or at home or wherever. I said, no, I'm not doing that. 
and I had more trouble stacked up in a week than than I'd had for for a couple of years before that. So I I learned about this appropriately, being able to to deal with these things. So self confidence, um, I reckon I've got a fair bit of it, but I temp I try and temper it. I can be silent, and I enjoy my own company, which is something I couldn't do when I was drinking unless I was drunk. And being on your own a lot, that must have been uh, pretty awful. I isolated when I was drinking. Yeah. Um, for uh, for all the men out there, I was a shed drinker. I had a, had sheds, and uh, I was a disappearing drunk. And uh, drinking, I used to drink a lot in cars uh, when I was travelling from one place to another. In my day, it was uh, um, tallies, I think they call them today, but uh, large bottles of beer and... And uh, I'd estimate, you know, I had to drive between point A and point B. It was six bottles or seven bottles or seven bottles and two pub stops or something like that. So I don't have those sorts of problems in my life today. And I am so grateful for that. (laughs) And, of course, gratitude is about acting in a grateful way rather than just being grateful, being thankful. So, uh, yes, so I try and practice ways to be grateful. Mm, Okay. Uh, The other thing we uh, sometimes talk about is... Saying to somebody who is might be considering that alcohol is a problem and might be considering going to something like AA, so what what do you say to those people? Uh, well, a good little benchmark for me uh, is is drinking costing more than just money, and if I can look at my drinking as I had to, and I could see that not only was it costing me everything that I had and possessed it was also costing me my self-esteem my sanity um, any sense of uh, of self-worth that I had and um, I, I equated those as being the things that brought me to AA not it wasn't wasn't the amount of money I'd lost and all the rest of it and I mean some people don't lose all their money some people come to AA and they're uh, they're highly successful on the surface but it's this self-esteem and and things like that and relationships Assessing your relationships and saying, well, you know, am I damaging relationships with other people? Um, so they're the really critical things. Yeah, you mentioned the high-functioning alcoholic. There's a lot of people don't understand that most alcoholics are high-functioning. Well, they tend, they tend to think too much, so they think yeah. up all sorts of schemes and ways, some of them. Um, I, I can't really speak for all other alcoholics, but I know a lot of very intelligent people who um, have had marvellous careers and so on, but have been unable to deal with this issue of of becoming an alcoholic Um, because it seems to be a blind spot in the alcoholic. You know, why can't I drink like other people? This time it will be all right. Um, They're some of the thoughts that go through through the normal alcoholic's head. I suspect they certainly went through mine. This time it will be all right. You know, and forgetting that it was as bad last time. Um, you know, coming out of a blackout, there's disaster. But by Wednesday, you've improved a bit. So people are beginning to talk to you again and and uh, you meet you at the water cooler and actually nod to you and so on. Um, and it's difficult to get it in perspective that this is how it's going to be. And one of the things that AA gives me is, is that uh, repetition, which I mentioned before, just to remind myself that this is what it would be like if I picked up a drink, which I don't want to do. Okay. Um, so what about family then and relationships? Uh, well, in my case, I had another family, so I've got two families. Um, I've got um, a pile of granddaughters uh, now. I've got um, three in one group. I've got one one small granddaughter at the moment. She's three, and she's an absolute delight. And I've got a grandson, 
which is the first boy born in my family for a long time, pretty much since me, and uh, very happy about that too. And I'm a I'm a good grandparent. And one of the things uh, I can say about that, which is especially important for me, is that if I put my grandchildren in the car, strap them in their seats properly, and all the rest of it. Nobody rushes out of the house and says, don't let that man drive off because he doesn't come back, which is one of the things that I used to do when I was drinking. I'd disappear saying I'll be back in 10 minutes and, and I just didn't make it back. And sometimes that would be long periods of time. And um, as I mentioned to you before when we were talking, six weeks is my record for walking out and saying I'll be back in 10 minutes and not getting back. I just got on a bender and disappeared. Yeah. And um, so nobody rushes out today and says you can't have the grandchildren. They say please take them. Yes, <laughs> give me a break. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, well, listen, uh, I think we might have to finish up there because we're getting close to time. Um, so I'd like to thank you, John, for coming in today and sharing your recovery experience with us thank you very much uh, bill and also thank you to the to listeners for listening to me i hope you haven't turned me off <laughs> <laughs> not yet no <laughs> uh, i hope you're about to join us again next week when we'll be talking about something special it's um every town for gun safety which is a movement of americans working together to end gun violence and build safer communities um, our discussions will concentrate on the efforts to save lives by keeping guns away from domestic abusers. This is a bit of a variation on our theme, but it's about living free of things like gun violence. Uh, stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Uh, thanks for listening to the Living Free program today. <laughs>